I'm the fanboy. Do you guys have any idea how rare it is that I'm the fanboy and Mike is the hater? Especially in a superhero genre. I can't believe that there's actually a superhero movie that I like more than Mike does. It's the fanboy and the hater. One who loves joy and one like Vader. One loves pop culture. One thinks it's torture. They both think they're right. So let's hear them fight. Reviewing movies and what's on TV. It's the fanboy and the hater. Hey, I like that. It was pretty catchy. I hated it. The timing was off and it was out of tune. Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. Edited by Jim Harris. And music by Mike Hall. Hey, this is Jim with a quick editor's note. The bulk of the content of this episode actually comes from our test recording. As such, you will notice some audio quality differences. I apologize for that. We were actually pleasantly surprised by how good the content of our test recording was, and we didn't want to re-record everything. Hopefully it's not too bad, but feel free to let me know if you think it sucks. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to tonight's event. A magical match for the DC movie, Shazam! Introducing first, the maniacal mage, Jim, the fanboy, Harris! And his opponent, the seething sorcerer, Mike, the hater, For the tens listening alone in their rooms, and the hundreds listening around the world, let's get ready to nerd fight! Say my name, so my power may flow through you. I open my heart to you, Billy Batson, and in so doing, choose you as champion. With your heart, unlock your greatest power. Thrones of our brothers and sisters await! The first time that I watched Shazam, I thought it was a very fun movie. I very much enjoyed it. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of holes in it. It's not a perfect movie by any means, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Upon second viewing, a lot more of the holes started getting to me. Uh, I enjoyed it a little bit less. But then I could sit back and enjoy it for what it is. But it's much less of a fun movie when I started actually looking at a lot of the holes. So that's kind of my initial take on the movie. Uh, what about you? I went into this movie with incredibly low expectations. One, because it's a DC film. So my expectations are always incredibly low. And two, I didn't really know much about the character of Shazam. A lot of the other superhero movies are at a disadvantage when I go to see them because I have higher expectations, or at least I'm more familiar with the character. Not really familiar with the character, and even though I had seen the character before, never really felt strongly one way or another. I get very picky about Spider-Man, because Spider-Man was my favorite superhero growing up, so anytime anything Spider-Man has done, 
whole bunch of preconceptions come into my seeing the movie, but not so much with Shazam. I thought it was a really good movie. For a DC movie, I thought it was awesome. It may be the second best DC movie I've ever seen. Only beaten by Wonder Woman is probably the only DC movie that I could say was honestly better. But one of the things I thought was probably different, not only for DC movies, but also for superhero movies in general, I thought it had a really well-structured story. I agree with that. Watching it the second time, I was looking at it a little bit more and knowing what's coming up. Watching it the second time, I saw there was a lot of conversation, a lot of little things that kind of led up or foreshadowed what was going to happen in a very structured way to lead you to that point. And I think that's, as you talked about other DC films not doing as well, I think that's one of the things that they miss in a lot of it is they don't set that up very well. And this movie did a very good job of that, almost to the point, though, of beating you over the head with it, which is kind of one of the issues that I ended up having is... They spent so much trying to lead up to the end and, and develop that character or those characters in the movie that they had to rely so heavily on cliches and tropes for characters to get there. I think uh, long term, that's really going to hurt this movie. I, I think initially there was a lot of positive reviews for it, but I think over the long term, this will end up being frowned upon over time. I disagree with that. I think there were definitely a lot of tropes, and we can get into specifics. There were a lot of really tired tropes that were used throughout the movie. Look out! Look out for spoilers! Spoilers are coming! One of the things I think that a lot of superhero movies lack is not only a good story, but a good theme. Like, what is the movie actually about? And Shazam has this core theme about family. So this orphan boy who even has a mistaken memory and story of his own origin story about how his mother lost him or he ran away and how he doesn't really feel like he wants to be a part of any foster families. And the whole concept of what is a family and how that the different characters relate to that concept was a theme really throughout. Even with like the bad guy coming from a more traditional family and having a very bad family experience, and then the good guy having a different family experience. So there was a steady theme throughout the movie. The other thing that I thought was a great theme that was very consistent without the movie is, how would you react if you got superpowers all of a sudden? Because we got to see both sides of it. We got to see the good guy, which is a kid, how any kid would react to getting superpowers, you know, doing crazy stuff with them. But also even the bad guy, when he gets superpowers, starts wanting to kill people. So I think a very realistic treatment of how would people react if they got superpowers, especially the fact that the hero doesn't act like a hero right away. A lot of superhero movies, I think, are a little bit too much default heroic, for lack of a better term. And that wasn't at all the case. And I don't know, maybe if that's just because it was a kid. One of the issues reading comic books, a lot of times you look at it and go, well, that there's no way that person would do that. So when you're trying to adapt that to a live action movie, I think it's a little bit easier to go, oh yeah, I, I could definitely see a person with a personality reacting in that way. Uh, which again, kind of goes back to the way that, like you were saying, the child becoming a superhero, how's he going to react? There's no training manual. And kind of like you were saying in some of the other movies and some of the other adaptations in other uh, media, they get the superpowers and then immediately they're a superhero. They didn't get a manual either. How did they figure out how to do that? And I, I really like how this movie brought in, well, how do you discover what your powers are? 
how how you figure out how to do these things. I was like, I think it, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Seinfeld made the joke. I accept that Superman can fly, but how does he fly faster? What are the physics involved? What does he do? What what kind of force does he use to fly faster? That's always been in the back of my head as I'm watching these movies. How are they actually doing this? And I really like how this movie kind of tackled that, that he didn't know how to fly. He had to try to figure out how to fly. He just accidentally did the lightning fingers. And then it kind of took him a little bit to figure out how to do it and how to do it accurately. I think this movie did a very good job of that. This was a very good setup movie. One of the tropes, unfortunately, that is in the movie is the rejection of the call. The hero rejecting wanting to be a hero, which was a little bit more believable because it was a 14-year-old kid. He just wants to go buy beer and go to a strip club and do stuff like busk for money at the park. He doesn't actually want to fight bad guys or even catch the bus full of people. Right. And I agree with that. And I, I will even take that a step forward with when the other kids got their powers, their reactions to it were fantastic and, and really fit the characters. So I, I really think that the actors playing the adult version of the kids did a very good job of playing the adult version of those kids. But that being said, I'm not so sure that Zachary Levi did a very good job playing Billy Batson. He did a very good job playing a kid that just got superpowers. But his personality as that kid getting superpowers, I don't think really matched the Billy Batson that we got at the beginning of the movie. It's not him getting superpowers. It's a generic kid getting superpowers. Because you watch, when Zachary Levi becomes that hero, he's very fun-loving and happy and joyful as he's going through it. The only time you see that joy-loving, fun, happy person as Billy Batson as a kid is when he's pretending to be that to the cop. Otherwise, he's kind of broody. He's kind of down and depressed. So I don't really think that we, we get that or we see that transition. I don't think it was played very well in that case. I never really thought about that, but that's actually an excellent point. The Billy Batson character is pretty much a dick. From the beginning of the movie, so him acting like this wild-eyed, you know, joyful kid because he has superpowers, it was a distinct personality shift between Jack Levi and the actor that played Billy Batson. So yeah, that actually was a disconnect that I didn't really think too much about. Jack Levi was great comedically with playing with the idea of having superpowers, but yeah, he didn't really play a Billy Batson character. I guess it goes back to the old problem that we have in a lot of movies, DC and otherwise. You can play Batman, or you can play Bruce Wayne, but you can't play both. So maybe in this movie, he can play Shazam, and you, or you can play Billy Batson, but you can't play both. Well, I have a very unpopular opinion about playing Bruce Wayne and Batman, but that's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing! <laughs> One thing that you mentioned before about how you did were not familiar with the character ahead of time, and I'm not incredibly familiar with the character, but I was somewhat familiar with the character. And one of the things that I really liked about at least the series that I was familiar with was Billy Batson was that downtrodden, like was portrayed in this movie. Mm -hmm. he, he was always searching for somewhere to belong, like was shown in this movie, but he wasn't depressed about it, like it was shown in this movie. He was always very hopeful. He was always very joyful. He was always really trying. He just really wanted to please everybody. And that's how he became the superhero. In the books, the character that Zachary Levi plays as Shazam's Billy Batson 
is directly from the books. That that's the Billy Batson that that I would have hoped to see, but it wasn't the Billy Batson that was portrayed in this movie. Just a quick aside about the name of the superhero, which is a recurring joke through the early scenes of the movie. Stop on the superhero. Yeah, his name is Captain Sparkle's Fingers. No, it's not. It's not my name. His name is Thundercrack. Dude, that sounds like a butt thing. The human power storm, frequency flinger, Sir's Absolot. He's a man of many names. Maximum voltage, is it? You can call me Max. Uh, in actuality, as Zachary Levi explains, the name Shazam actually is an acronym, S-H-A-Z-A-M, which stands for Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the endurance of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the fighting abilities of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. One thing about the wizard that really bothered me about this. So in everything that I have seen of Shazam and the wizard, the wizard is a very decrepit old man with long white hair and a long white beard. Kind of what we see in this movie. But this movie, it just beating me upside the head with, hey, this is a very fit young guy that's playing an old person and very obviously trying to play an old person with very obvious wig and prosthetics. And I think that really bothered me. You didn't like Black Dumbledore? Do not patronize me, boy! <laughs> you know, there, there's probably people that were upset that it was a black guy playing it. I did not care that they changed the color of the wizard. I just cared that that did not look like a decrepit old man. That looked like somebody playing a decrepit old man. It's somebody that could very easily go win the Olympics pretending to be somebody that could barely move. That's what really bothered me. I think they could have cast that better as somebody that looked the part a little bit better. They should have just messed with people and used the ancient one from Doctor Strange as a wizard. <laughs> and a really bad wig. I, I think they should have just gone with Gandalf. Gandalf I mean, would work. It, was, it would have been pretty close. Going back to what I was saying at the very beginning, is there was a lot of cliches in this that I think really hurt the movie. Let's talk about specific cliches. Run down some of the cliches that you found most offensive. The very first one, you see it right at the beginning... The cliche of, oh, the villain is just somebody that's been bullied his whole life and wants revenge. You see that over and over and over and over again. Why can't it just be a person that gets the powers and that power corrupts him? In this case, the villain, he'd been searching for this and he just felt so victimized by being bullied that he just was searching for the power just so he could prove that he was right. I don't think somebody's going to spend their entire life doing that, and then they just immediately go kill their brother and father and try to take over that way. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I didn't really find that realistic. And another big cliche, uh, you see it a lot, the bullies in high school. The guys that had that truck, that big pickup truck, and they always pulled in half in the street, half in the yard, where nobody else was parking. How are kids, teenagers in a high school going to get away with that every day? They're never going to allow that. That truck's going to get towed away. In a school that was shown with metal detectors and security guards. Right. That would have been right. dealt with. Exactly. And they're cliche bullies. They're like, oh, we're going to pick on this small handicapped kid. That's not how bullies work. That's how bullies work in TV shows when they didn't understand bullies. That's not what, what bullies do. That's not the type of person that bullies are going to pick on. 
The only aspect of that that I liked, and this goes back to one of the, the tropes that the movie played upon, the whole rejection of the call by the hero, the hero not wanting to be a hero, that it takes usually an extreme event to get them to actually step in. The fact that Billy Batson was walking away, and because they were beating up a handicapped kid, that's when he decided to step in. That was about the only part of that that almost made sense, that I don't want to be a good guy or a hero. I know you're, you you're, you really want to respond to this. I'll give you a second. I don't want to be a good guy or a hero, but they're beating up a handicapped kid. I have to do something. You were paying attention. Oh, no. That is not why he stepped in. He knew that handicapped kid was getting beaten up when he walked away. He stepped in when they made fun of the kid for not having a mother. And that was the ongoing theme was Billy was trying to reattach to his mother. Oh, it wasn't I did until miss they, that. Yep. It wasn't until they brought up mothers and missing mothers to be exact that he turned around and went back. So he wasn't oh. defending his brother there or defending a handicapped kid. He was beating up on bullies for making fun of not having a mother. Well, at least, okay, I did miss that, but at least does mean that he was pushed by an extreme to care. So right. until the mother was brought up, which is a huge theme in the movie, his mistaken idea that his mother thought he ran away, he spends part of the movie trying to find his real mom and then gets disappointed to find out that his mom basically abandoned him and doesn't want him. But that also goes back to the what, what you were saying earlier about how they actually set up this movie well. Yes, and that, and that was a big part of the storyline, and I liked how they kept recurring that mm-hmm. throughout the movie. But then going back to that truck, and I, I know earlier we discussed this a little bit, <laughs> it's still driving me nuts. So after he got the powers, that truck pulls up again, mm-hmm. and those assholes are being assholes, and then all of a sudden the truck disappears, and they're trying to find it. Okay, well, he's he's really fast and really strong. Maybe he just ran by and picked it up and carried it away. Okay, I can possibly accept that. And then when they're looking for it and they can hear it, so it's somewhere nearby, and then it drops from the sky. He didn't know how to fly yet. Because you're right, there's no way he could have just picked it up and thrown it straight up in the air, because they kept clicking the um, car alarm, and you could hear the car alarm. So he had to be holding the car while flying above and then dropping it, which we had not established yet that he had flying powers. Or maybe it was just a really loud beep, so he just threw it in the air. But then how's he going to know where it's going to land? How does he know somebody's not going to walk underneath it before it lands? But also that maybe that goes into not knowing how to be a hero. That kind of thing really bothers me when when they, they get things not aligned very well. The cliched bullies, I'll give you that that was an overly cliched bully, but, and sometimes callbacks and foreshadowing are, are a little bit too hitting you over the head with it. But the, the suitcase wedgies that the handicapped kid got by the bullies, and then he basically ends up being able to give them suitcase wedgies when he carries them away from the Ferris wheel at the end, they have a little bit of resonance that he did the same thing back to the bullies. Yeah, I, did. I, I enjoyed that. As a kid, I was a little guy. I got picked on quite a bit. I got bullied. But I found that most of the kids that could do that kind of stuff, that were the much bigger kid like that, they bullied more verbally and kind of like, ha, you're little. But they didn't really do the physical bullying because they don't really want to hurt you. They just want to laugh at you. And that was my issue with those bullies. Swing back around to cliches that bothered me. Yes, let's get back to Uh, cliches. The family. All of those very diverse kids. Nobody in that family had anything in common. And you're going to tell me that that many kids 
all struggling to find somewhere to belong and wanting to be a family can't find some things that they all agree with. You're going to tell me that the little kid playing video games all the time with that many other kids, they're not, he's not going to have somebody else playing games with him? You're going to tell me that one kid really liking music and listening to his headphones all the time, he's not going to hang out and listen to music with any of the other kids, especially the ones that are really needy for attention? Bothering me was the distinct personalities, not necessarily the diversity of the cast. I was actually fine with that, and I think we're going to see that a lot more. People making these movies are starting to get to the point that they want to forcibly prove that it's okay to have that kind of diversity, and it's perfectly fine. But again, my issue was trying to bring that into, is this a real-world, realistic movie, or is this just a campy movie? And if you're going to make it a realistic movie, or, or bring it into a world that's trying to be realistic, realistically, that many kids struggling to find somewhere to belong, they're going to find ways to connect and do things together. Another thing that really bothered me, the beginning of the movie, this kid, he's even yelled at, hey, you're committing a federal offense. And what happens? He gets a new foster home. He doesn't go to juvie. He, he never goes to court or anything like that. And even joke, the cop finds him and jokes with him about it. That was very unrealistic. Yes. And, and, uh, and I think also unnecessary because the whole reason why he, what he did to the cops was to get access to the cops' computers so he could look up his mother. But that was also kind of pointless because later in the movie, they figure out his entire backstory for him by just doing what would make more sense, a computer hack or something like that. I don't know if that's cliche, but it's unrealistic. Right, right. Yeah, that was more of a, yeah, that wasn't necessarily a cliche. But what is a cliche? Why is it every time a superhero becomes a superhero, the first thing they do is stop a convenience store from being robbed? Maybe I've been very lucky in my life going to convenience stores, because it seems like in movies, every convenience store is robbed every 15 minutes. And I've been trying to figure that one out. And the fact that this continues just absolutely drives me nuts. Same with, oh, hey, look, somebody's getting mugged over there in this park. I mean, granted, I'm not in New York. But why does that seem to happen over and over on a daily basis? Well, at least they were turned the mugging a little bit around because the woman actually didn't need to be saved. She maced the pe awesome. pepper spray the guy awesome. <laughs> and didn't actually lose her purse. So that was actually kind of good. But yeah, the, the cliche of the convenience store robbing and, and as funny as it was for him to learn his bulletproofness that way. That two guys robbing a convenience store with guns would just start shooting people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and shooting him in the face. I mean, it seemed rather odd. As angry as I was about the robbery in the convenience store cliche, what they did with it was hilarious. And I really liked what they did there. I like his reaction to shoot him in the face. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Another thing, stepping back a little bit before I step forward. We've already talked about diversity in this. I think it's fantastic that they're bringing out diversity. I think it's fantastic that they're bringing out, hey, this woman was being mugged but saved herself. She didn't need somebody to save her. I really like how progressive they're becoming in this and they're showing that stuff. But then, at the end, all the kids get their powers. Why is it all the guys are absolutely jacked and the two females are just petite? Ah. They're not jacked. And I understand that the thought behind it is this is what a kid thinks of when they think of superhero. So this is what a kid would want to look like if they became a superhero. And that's why they look that way. That's why they're so overly jacked with the padded suits. 
our little girls, do they not think of female superheroes as being muscular? Are they thought of as just being petite little Barbie dolls with a cape? There's the next step of progress that we need to uh, maybe change that a little bit. Or is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? I don't know. That really kind of made me step back as well when I saw that. Even the guys were, were joking or laughing about how jacked they were or really excited about it. And the women were just like, oh, look, I'm fast. And they're in skirts with high boots. Right, right. So, yeah, I'd rather sexist-seeming uh, outfits, but yeah. It- but that's what they look like in the books. So, okay. I, I mean, I can't argue too much on that. Were they were they going for realism with the books? Could they not find actresses that fit that? I, I don't really know, but that's just kind of something that I, that I noticed. It's like, how come these super powerful females aren't jacked? More cliches? Things you don't like? Um, oh, there's a lot more that I don't like. Going back again, that police officer, his car got jacked. Man, I'm saying jacked a lot. But in a different context. Yeah, in a different context this time. When Billy stole the policeman's car, so this police officer was just locked in this store, and this kid is, is in his car doing everything, and he is more concerned with his lunch than with this kid accessing this computer, locking him in this store, and leaving him there. Then when he finds the kid, it's not, hey, stop. It's, hey, did you leave me any fries? Come on. It was one of the many uh, forced allusions to Philadelphia for the setting because it was a cheesesteak sandwich from a famous Philly cheesesteak place that was actually the lunch. So that was one of the several things about Philly that was forced, the whole Rocky steps and the Ben Franklin statue. So yeah, very, very forced. Hey, if you didn't notice, we're based in Philadelphia. Right, right, right. I mean, that's, 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 and I don't mind the lunch being there, mm-hmm. but the fact that that was the cop's main focus, that, that's what bothered me. Like, if you'd have been like, oh, not my lunch, too, that would have been a little bit different. But, no, 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 not my lunch, not my lunch, not my lunch. And then, did you leave me any fries? No, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Another thing that really bothered me figured out the seven symbols seven times opens the door. The researcher touches that door and immediately turns to ash. He touches the door and just opens it and walks through. Why? How? Yeah, there was really no explanation for that. That was one of those moments, too, where it's like, wow, that's kind of violent for a film that's all geared more towards kids. There was no blood, so it's okay for kids to see it. Oh, is that the line that's drawn? That's the line that's drawn. Once there's, once there's blood, then, oh, no, you can't have that. You can have horrible violence <laughs> to children, and it's fine for children to watch, as long as there's no blood. Okay, yeah, that made absolutely no sense. That plus, I think, as an aside, I think that that bus was filled with super-powered people, because that bus, nobody got hurt on that bus they followed. A couple of guys got a little bit of a cut, maybe the start of blood, when they, they fell from the very back of the bus... That was pointed down toward the ground and all the way toward the front and slammed into the windshield. Like, multiple people did this. And then the bus falls off of the bridge. He catches it, not, like, flying up to grab it and, like, slowly yeah, bring it to the ground. He didn't ease it to a stop. No, it's like the, the bus then further crashes basically into him. And then when he puts the bus down, everybody just what? No one is, like, limping. No one is hurt at all. There's not even any wet pants. Not even any wet pants. So I think that everyone on, I think those were superheroes on that bus because they had, had to have been super had healing been. abilities or adverse to injury or something. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was very out of character. Although again, right. 
as a general thing, going back to what you would say before, how does Superman fly faster? One of my favorite books, The Physics of Superheroes, actually tries to explain physics using comic books. Superpowers are fine. It, they accept in the, in the world of science that superpowers can exist. They just want it to be explained using physics. Like when Superman takes off, if he is actually able to fly fast and that high, a tremendous amount of force would have to be exerted on the ground, and he should basically be leaving a crater behind every time he takes off. Or another one of the physics things that doesn't make sense, which we also saw in that movie, when the bad guy falls off of the building, is basically falling to what would be his death, Shazam flies down and grabs him by like the back of his coat. Doesn't stops. Gwen Stacy it. Yeah, and he doesn't Gwen Stacy it. He should Gwen Stacy. That actual Gwen Stacy segment from the comics is actually called out in the Physics of Superheroes as one of the few actually realistic depictions right. of physics in a comic book of how Gwen Stacy died with a broken neck for the very same thing that we see happen in, in comic books and superheroes all the time where nobody gets hurt. Right, right. So I can't blame Shazam. I can't say that that's me nitpicking Shazam. That's more of a general yeah. Shazam is just doing the same thing that all superhero movies <laughs> do. Well, nitpicking Shazam. So we mentioned the door, and then he does walk through the door. He yes. goes in. He grabs the eye. And a very, very long monologue is drawn out. Lots of opportunity there. He grabs that orb, and, and it goes into his eye. Then the wizard tries to stop him. Where was the wizard doing anything while he was trying to grab the, the orb? Why didn't the wizard do anything there? He was on a bathroom break at that oh, point. Oh, he's on a bathroom. Okay, that was... I mean, you, <laughs> That's actually what it. the seventh throne is for. It's actually a toilet. <laughs> you see him, like, he slowly gets up and he's slowly walking towards him, like, okay, okay, that's, that's... He doesn't have any power left. And they say, oh, he doesn't have the power for it. But then after he goes in his eye and he gets up and he has these powers, then the wizard uses his staff and shoots a bolt at him that doesn't do anything because the bad guy's all powered up now. Why didn't he do that from the, the the throne and stop him from getting the orb in the first place? Hey, because there wouldn't be a movie. There would never have been a villain. Well, why would there be the statues and the stupid orb thing even there? Shouldn't there have been, like, at least a cage or something or locked up in a vault? It's going to be a little bit too easy for the evil stuff to get out. So, Well, they did set that up, though. Uh, he, he set it up as... The wizards were the watchers to keep them at bay, to keep them in that form. And you also kind of see that the orb was sitting there as the temptation to see whether or not they were pure of heart. That I could accept. But you even see at the beginning, the very first time when, when he's there as a child and he reaches for it, he blasts his hand. He's like, no, don't touch that. Where was that as an adult? Towards the end of the movie, when they're trying to figure out how to stop the bad guy, the merry character says... Oh, when the sins come out, he loses power. How did she know there were sins? They hadn't figured that out. There had never really been mention of that at that point to that character. As I explained to you, she's a good actress. She read the script. <laughs> That's really the only explanation. Well, it was one of those things where in a well-constructed story, they did kind of hit us over the head a little bit. I mean, it happens in a lot of movies. The foreshadowing of what's the Achilles heel of the bad guy? When the Batarang hits him in the head, he all of the sins are out of him, and Shazam notices, hey, he's bleeding, and then when the demons go back inside of him, the sins go back inside of him, it heals. So it kind of already foreshadowed that he's vulnerable when oh. the sins are out of his body. So why did they have to do it again 
with with, Mary, with the Mary characters saying that at the carnival. Well, you got to kind of have that expose of explaining to the audience what's going on. And I was actually okay with that. My well, issue is more, how did she know that they were sins? Immediately before that, they were just described as monsters. So if she had just said, when the monsters are out of him... I would have accepted that, because then she's explaining them. to everybody else what's going on. Uh, well, to make sure they're all on the same page. Although, technically, it didn't really make sense because we saw at one point, late in a pivotal point in the movie, that all of the monsters weren't out of him because Envy was still inside of him. So, right. So, why was he vulnerable at all? But when he got hit with a batarang, all of them were out of him. Ah, okay. Um, I, I actually made sure I counted. Oh, uh, you counted that your point, sins. Okay. Uh, because good, I, good. Because I, seeing the movie the first time and knowing what was going to happen, I was like, hey, I wonder, and, and I counted to double-check that, and so the, that was accurate. It was just calling them sins, when there was no no reason she should have known that they were sins. I guess also another big thing that I had issues with, too, is the monsters, the sin monsters. They look stupid. I, I know they were supposed to look like gargoyles, but they don't move well. They, you don't really see them do anything. They're supposed to be all menacing and everything, but they don't really do anything that you see. Not very often, anyways. I also was disappointed that there wasn't really a discernible difference between them. Yeah, most of the time you don't know which one's which. Yeah, unless they're called by name. Which only happens a couple times. Which like, only happens like a couple of times. Like one of them, like, hey, Greed, you can have him. And the guy with the one with four arms goes for him. Like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Envy, I think, is the one that like comes out of him when he's having that conversation. Yeah. That conversation with the last uh, Shazam. one, and there was one gluttony I think was called out. Other than that, they are very generic monsters. Yeah, they don't really l- look all that scary. Really, they don't move well. They don't. I, I don't understand why they didn't do more with those. Again, maybe it comes back to they look scary to little kids. Maybe. I think that's all I had for uh, for the things that really bothered me in the movie. Did you have anything else that bothered you? In terms of things that bothered me, I don't really think so. I think that we already talked about some of the cliches, but again, I, I actually think that overall the foreshadowing and some of the, the tropes of the hero's call actually work well in this story. Also, again, maybe because it was the nature of, of the subject matter of the movie compared to other DC movies, there was a lot more humor. Movies that come out now are newer superhero movies have a tremendous benefit because now that there's been what 30 or 40 superhero movies between Marvel and DC now they can try to be a little bit more lighthearted now whereas they didn't have to be before plus there's also more things to poke fun at so there was a lot of things where DC did a good job of poking fun at itself with the Batman and the Superman dolls with the kid playing <laughs> that was pretty funny the kid's Batman. name was Martha by the way <laughs> and then the Batman doll being thrown at him. Get him, Batman! It wasn't so much a, a DC thing, but it was just a funny superhero thing. The mocking, like you had said, the, the, the bad guy gets a couple of monologues in the movie. He gets one monologue before he gets his superpowers. But the monologue he gets towards the end, <laughs> when he's talking about how he's going to destroy Shazam, and Shazam's like, you're like a mile away from me, dude. I, are you talking? I can see your mouth moving. What are you saying? <laughs> uh, all I hear is cars honking yeah, and it's trucks like, moving. We're a mile away. There's cars <laughs> and uh, trucks. There's a lot of noise. I can't hear. What, are you saying something? So that was that was one of the things that was good. Even in the middle of all of the fight sequences, was funny for for them to continue to inject that, that type of stuff. And that's an example of bringing it into real world. Kind yes. of what I was talking about before. Is this a real world thing or is mm-hmm. this an else world? And I really like how they did that. 
Plus also sort of the running theme of with Freddy being the expert in superheroes and how superheroes are supposed to act and the whole sequences of going through and trying to figure out what superpowers they have and the fact that they needed a lair and stuff like that. So there were a lot of poking fun at superhero movies in general that I thought really, really worked well. And at the same time, connecting the universe. There, There was a lot of things both obvious and kind of hidden Easter eggy of connections to uh, the other characters throughout and making sure they fit in the, in the DC universe there. I really think they did a very good job of connecting this or, or making it very easily connected to uh, the rest of the, the movies and bringing them together. Not to oversimplify it, but kids play a central role in the movie and it's really a kid's perspective on superpowers. What was a real target audience maybe for this movie or even for this character? Is this character really geared more to a younger audience? I really think it is. I feel like comic books over the last 20 or so years have really grown with the audience. So people in the 80s, early 90s that were reading comic books, the heroes grew with those people. So now the comic books, your big ones, Superman, your Batman, they're tackling much heavier issues where it's going to make it harder for children to connect to those characters because they're tackling darker issues. So I really think this is a character, they, they've really played up the childness of that character so that children can connect with them and say, oh yeah, I could see myself doing that. That is a situation that I could find myself getting into if I had all of a sudden magic powers. I don't want to say it's a kid's movie because I enjoyed it as an adult, but it is a lot of things where almost it's meant to help kids understand a little bit more. The whole idea that he was really excited to have superpowers, but then when he actually had to fight a supervillain, he ran away. Or even having to act like a hero and try to catch the bus full of people, he didn't want to do that either. So it's not all fun and games and something that would be really cool to have. There is actually a darker downside to it. And the whole idea that, yeah, even when he's Shazam, he's still a little kid in a superpowered body. There was a pretty decent amount of violence and heavy themes in the movie. It still felt like a lot of the themes kept coming back to being geared towards a younger audience. I know it seemed rather silly to say that I can't think of another comic book character that is more geared towards children. But it was also a a story that was geared towards kids, but it wasn't like a saccharine, overly done, feel-good story. Because it did have very somber things about the mother's abandonment thing and and other aspects that made the movie not feel too too frivolous. You have to have that. Yeah, you have to have that for a, a good superhero movie anyway. I think DC trying to build up a universe and a world, they're going in the right direction, just the, the wrong way. I think they're trying to force it too fast, or at least they were. And then with this movie and with Aquaman, they're starting to kind of settle out and realize you've got to develop more of a base before you can really put it all together. So I think they're kind of stepping back and trying to, to figure out how to bring all that together. And I really think that this universe can be fantastic if they find a way of doing it. I still have a hard time imagining how they could successfully integrate Shazam into the Justice League. I mean, actually, knowing going back to the uh, comics, is that where he showed up a lot? Did he have a lot of crossover with the other heroes? He eventually became into, into the Justice League, and he was brought in by Superman. So I really think what they have to do is this next movie is going to... It almost has to bring Black Adam in. 
they cast The Rock as Black Adam a long time ago. And this has been an ongoing, we're just waiting to see The Rock as Black Adam. They gave this guy the power and he became corrupted by the power. And instead of trying to use it to make the world better by helping people, he decided to use that power to rule over everybody and try to make the world better as he saw fit. And so what the wizards did was banish him to the other side of the universe. Theoretically, what we're setting up here is for the next one for Black Adam to come and attack. And basically, you've got somebody that has the exact same powers as Shazam that is extremely angry because they've spent thousands of years flying through the universe trying to get back to Earth, but also has thousands of years of practice knowing his powers, knowing how to use them, knowing all the tricks, and also knowing all the weaknesses to exploit. So I think that would be very interesting. So I almost think they're they're going to have to use the next one to tie Shazam in with the other DC characters by way of bringing Superman in to help Shazam fight Black Adam. That will be interesting to see because... Again, maybe this is an unfair statement, but this is very different than any other DC movie. Because they actually took their time and set things up instead of trying to force everything into one movie? That and the fact that it actually had a sense of humor. I mean, it seemed like Shazam, and even from what I remember as a kid when I saw our animated series, he was kind of, I won't go so far as to say silly, but he was definitely not the most serious superhero in the DC universe. And the other DC movies just seem like they go out of their way to be so incredibly dark. Shazam doesn't even seem like he fits into the same universe. I know in Justice League, they actually did imbue a lot of humor or attempted to imbue a lot of humor. But a lot of the other DC movies, they're very dark. And Shazam doesn't seem like he fits in that world. He doesn't. And that's actually an ongoing thing with the character as well uh, in the books and in other other series is he is very much a child in an adult body with all this power that's very out of place. Mm -hmm. And so there are often, often times where he says something or he does something that just really irks the other heroes that don't know he's a child. And they just kind of stop like, why would you say something like that? Or he makes a joke that there's like, that's really not funny. And he finds it hilarious. That also kind of goes into why Superman's trying to mentor him into understanding what he needs to be as a grown-up adult superhero. I really don't see any other way of doing that because I just don't see him getting along with anybody else in the Justice League universe. I think if they try to do it with Wonder Woman, he's just going to end up with mommy issues. And I don't think Batman or Aquaman are going to get along with him very well. It is well-established. Batman hates magic. Superman hates magic as well. And I think that's another thing that makes it makes it very interesting when they go along with this is Black Adam just basically pummels Superman, as Shazam does from time to time, too. So that's why it kind of it takes the combined effort. Black Adam can take out Shazam because he knows the weaknesses, he knows the powers, and he's had a lot more practice with it. So he's a little more powerful. He can take out Superman because he's got the magic, and Superman's vulnerable to magic. But when Shazam and Superman team up against Black Adam, basically he's just not, he just can't take them both at the same time. So I think that's kind of almost what has to happen for it to be at all believable to draw it all into one universe. Okay, so like bringing this towards a conclusion. That movie. 
is so full of cliches and lazy storytelling, lazy writing. It's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. The only thing that saves it is Freddy. He's funny. He has depth of character. He actually has reasoning and background and things like that for the things that he says and the things that he believes and the things that drive the character. Nobody else has any kind of character drive. Billy starts to have a character drive with trying to find his mom, but then he gives up on that part way into the movie. Then he has no drive other than, hey, cool, I got superpowers. Now what? Yeah, Freddy is essentially like the internal narrator of the movie. Mm -hmm. And without Freddy, the movie would be tremendously weaker. He provides a narrative structure without which the movie would fall apart. I really think, again, watching it, I don't know how many times I've watched it, four or five times now. I really think the movie behind the movie is actually just about this kid, Freddy, who really, really loves superheroes because of what they can do compared to what he can't do, pretty much. He's limited. Nobody really wants to pay attention to him. Nobody really wants to see him, partially because of his disability. So the whole movie is about him wishing he had more and then having to watch somebody else have more. And also watch that person not... Not appreciate not that he has Not be able it. to appreciate what he has. You watch it more than a couple times, everything becomes very, very apparent that they're like, we don't really know what to do here, so let's just do this, because it works every time you do it, and people like it when they watch it once. But I think the movie, in part, relies on cliches and storytelling tropes, especially superhero tropes, as part of its drive of its story. Like the whole discovery, what kind of superpowers do I have? Hey, Freddy, what kind of superpowers do superheroes have? And how will we figure out what we have? A lot of that type of stuff is completely superhero tropey, but they're kind of also making fun of their own genre at the same time. They're poking fun at superhero movies in general, DC movies a little bit more specifically at times. And I think the fact that we're in on the joke makes it okay for me. If, it, if we're in a different superhero movie... Those things would annoy the crap out of me. But for some reason, I give this movie a lot more free reign than I do other movies because I think I kind of accept this movie as being a less serious superhero movie. And that's why I like it. I'm not talking about that. I, I actually, that's the only part of the movie that I really, actually, really enjoy is the testing of the superpowers and the development of figure out how your superpowers work. I'm talking about the jokes, the timings. The, hey, we're going to do this because this is what they usually do in these types of movies. Those are the things that really bother me. That It's not at all creative in, in any of those aspects. It's just a cliche comedy. I think this may be one of the first, if not the first, family superhero movie. A movie that a family can go to see together, especially with younger kids. And this might be their first introduction to superheroes because even though it has some dark and disturbing aspects to it, it's pretty kid-friendly and family-friendly. And I've even seen people online talk about that even members of the family who aren't even into superhero movies would go to see the movie with the rest of the family and enjoy it. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe it's the, the kid-oriented jokes. But you know what? Again, it's, it's lazy writing because there is a way to do that, so it's both. You see it a lot, like Powerpuff Girls was great at very, very kid humor. That's even funnier as an adult because there's nuances or little, little inflections to it that you catch as an adult that you don't catch as a kid. This movie doesn't really have that. Shazam thinks it's funny funny, but is actually dumb funny. Oh, so you don't think that we're in on the joke with them. You think that they're actually trying to be more serious level of funny. They don't know that they're being dumb funny? I think so. 
that's what I get out of it. Huh. Where they're trying to be, like you said, trying to straddle that line between overly dumb but kid-friendly, but they don't straddle it. That's just all the way dumb for kids. And like I said, for, first time watching it, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's a good movie. For me, as when I'm normally a fanboy on things, for me, if it's a good movie, it's a good movie because I can watch it over and over and over and over again, and it doesn't get old, it doesn't get lame, it's still funny, it still hits me emotionally. But this movie doesn't do that. It stops being funny for the most part. The only thing that saves it is Freddy. A lot of the dumb, funny stuff comes from Billy Batson and Shazam, but a lot of times, Freddy is not amused with the right. things that the other characters in the movie are amused by, or the audience is amused by. Yeah, the entire depth of that movie is based on that character. Yeah. So you are channeling your inner Freddy. It's a little bit. <laughs> He's a part of the movie that you like, and I, I definitely can see it that from, yeah, because there are plenty of scenes where he is very annoyed with Billy Batson with the way he is reacting to getting superpowers and not being appreciative of having superpowers and not wanting to become a hero and be a hero. I looked at it as a, a nice juxtaposition between, yeah, it would be awesome if I had superpowers, I could do all these things, Compared against the, yeah, but if that happens to include fighting supervillains and being put into life-threatening situations, those aren't terribly fun. So I enjoyed that back and forth. And Freddie seems like he, he wants the movie to be more serious because he wants Billy Batson to take what's happening to him more seriously. I've seen the movie three or four times as well. I've enjoyed it every single time. I don't laugh at the jokes as much now as I did the first time I saw it. Because, yeah, now I know that they're coming. And like you said, they're not really well-constructed jokes. Yeah. There's no really great depth there. But I still chuckle. I still enjoy it. I'm enjoying it less and less each time I watch it. And to be honest with you, the last time I watched it, I was wanting to scream at the TV more than anything. Compared to the first time I watched it, I thought it was a great movie. It's like we're in Bizarro World. I mean, we're in Bizarro World in general. I'm the fanboy. Do you guys have any idea how rare it is? That I'm the fanboy and Mike is the hater, this is, like, so weird. Especially in a superhero genre. It's exactly, in a superhero genre. It's like, I can't believe that there's actually a superhero movie that I like more than Mike does. But the thing that's also weird about, it almost seems like the opposite of the Solo episode that we did. Mm -hmm. We both love Star Wars, but for me, the more I watch that movie, the more I hate it. Whereas for me on that one, the more I watch it, the more I like it, because I'm starting to connect dots a little bit more, and I'm seeing, oh, hey, that gap probably existed somewhere, but it's on the cutting room floor, and if you think about it, you can piece it together. I actually really like that when I have to kind of think about it and piece it together and try to figure out what got cut out that might have explained it a little bit more or something like that. Whereas this movie, it is what it is. There isn't much there... Well, it's funny because when I ran the Twitter poll for Solo, we got some feedback from our online audience and the people who are following the podcast. All of them were like, dude, just relax a little and just enjoy it. It's a fun movie. It's, it's like a, It's a good space romp. It's a good space romp, but I want it to be a good Star Wars movie. And a lot of people are like, just pretend it's not a Star Wars movie if that helps you at all, because it's an enjoyable movie. So a lot of people, again, were agreeing with you about that. But yeah, I have, again, it's it's weird for me because it's like the opposite effect. Because <laughs> again, I, I didn't dislike Solo the first time I saw it. I was like, huh. It's like, I'm not really sure if I like that or not. But every time I watch it, 
I hate it more and more. <laughs> and you're having the exact same reaction to Shazam. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe a year from now, I will have a different opinion. I mean, I've, again, I've watched it three or four times, but maybe it might also be a level of, of expectation setting. I had incredibly low expectations for this movie. I knew very little about the character. My expectation levels for DC movies in general are incredibly low. So I was like, you know what? This was awesome for me for a DC movie. And who knows, maybe if it was a Marvel movie, maybe I would feel differently. Maybe my expectations would have been higher. Or if it was something like a Spider-Man movie, I'm, I'm uber critical about Spider-Man movies. But for this, is like, I don't know much about this character. I don't really care all that much about this character. And as we had also talked about before, you had mentioned that there's really only one specific way, a one specific path that this character can take and one specific storyline that we have to follow to actually fold this character into the DC Extended Universe that we have to go through Black Adam and Superman in order to connect Shazam to... Well, we don't have to, but it would make the most sense. I think, well, it, it would make the most sense, but like you had brought up before, it's like, I don't really see any other way of how that character can come into the Extended Universe. But I also believe it's like, you know what? I think it's also okay if he never does. Yeah. We don't need all of, we don't need to assemble all of our heroes into a, a gigantic movie. I think it's okay to have one-off movies or characters that kind of do their own thing, even if in the comic book they are supposed to join the wider group. Because I have seen some of the animated movies and cartoon series where Shazam shows up, and even when I see him in them, I was like, this guy just feels out of place. That's the point of the character in those I know that I know that that's the point of the character, but that annoys me. I think, that, and maybe that might be the thing. It's like, I think if I saw Shazam in Justice League, I would have fucking hated him. And he would annoy the crap out of me. He's supposed to. He's supposed to. But in his own movie, when that's his whole thing, and he's not trying to connect with any of that stuff, I really enjoy the character. I don't think I would enjoy the character outside of his own movie. What are your final thoughts on Shazam and your metaphorical rating? Overall, I think this this is a good movie to watch once or twice. After that, it becomes a dumpster fire. Overall, I give this seven sins. Feels good at the time. It's very short-lived. And if you stop and think about it, you know it's wrong. Overall, the, the lazy writing becomes shallow and annoying. And I think anybody that watches it more than a few times is going to agree. For me, again, the bar is very low. But for me, this was my second favorite live-action DC movie behind only Wonder Woman. And for me, it was one of the few movies, and again, not just to pick on DC, but one of the few superhero movies in recent memory that had a very well-constructed story. I really like, regardless of the genre or type of film, I like it when the story connects. And there were definitely things that foreshadowing early in the movie and then callbacks later in the, in the movie that connected the dots for good continuity from the beginning all the way through to the end. And I really liked that story construct. I also thought that it did a very good job. Not a great amount of depth, but I thought that it was a decent amount of both character development and plot development that was really well executed throughout. I also really liked the themes that were strong throughout the movie. The underlying theme of family, what does it mean to be a family, not just in the traditional definition of not the, you know, the family that we decide to become a part of as opposed to the one that we're born into. What does it mean to be a superhero? 
trying to figure out how to actually accept both the positive and negative aspects of that reality. Overall, I found the movie to be incredibly entertaining, and I give it two Latin with my thumbs! Latin with my thumbs! Latin with my thumbs! Latin with my thumbs! I wish you could see how angry Mike looks right now. <laughs> so you got the words and the cadence wrong on it. Everything was wrong about it. <laughs> so your review of my review is that everything was wrong about my review. Well, you said I, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that stuff. I just think it's first couple of watchings. Yeah. After that, no. I would have agreed with you the first time I watched it about it being one of the best DC movies. Now it is the second worst DC movie in my head. I think it is one of those movies. I mean, I understand the point that you're making. I really do think it is a movie that isn't going to stand up well to repeated viewings. But I would also argue it's probably also a movie that you're not going to be motivated to want to watch multiple times. Like if Shazam came on, and like when it goes on a streaming service or someone had it playing on DVD or Blu-ray when it came over their house, I wouldn't object to it. I don't think I would seek this movie out, though, and want to watch it specifically. This is a good background movie. Like, if you're not going to pay attention to it, it's a great movie to have on in the background while you're doing other things. Fantastic for that. If you're going to pay attention to it, you're going to start to not like it. I agree. And I, I still think, again, that's exactly how this movie was written. I think it was written to not be viewed multiple times, to be enjoyable at a superficial level, and not to take too close of a look at it. And if you can do that, I think you will enjoy this movie. And I think the entire family will enjoy this movie. Because again, like I said earlier, I think it's a great movie for introducing young kids to superheroes and getting them interested in it and understanding the realities of it, both the positive and negative aspects of it. That's why I give it to Latin with my thumbs! Latin with my thumbs! I can't sing, so I'm really annoying my... And there's the eighth sin. <laughs> Social shout-out! Hey, friends and potential lovers. Have you ever felt so passionately after watching a TV show or a movie but not have a pal to share it with? Allow us the honor of keeping you company with our weekly podcast for your reference with your hosts, KT and OT. Each episode, we break down our hot takes that you'll either ardently agree or vehemently disagree with, like subs versus dubs. How important is a cohesive narrative? What's with the popularity of the relatable villain? Is it possible to be truly objective in spite of your own experiences? And most importantly, are you getting a clue and which direction is it pointing? <laughs> Come on now, it's pointing towards for your reference. That's a great reference. If you've got a little room in your rotation for some salacious frivolity, check out for your reference wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating, leave us a comment, reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater, Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for iOS and Android. 
find us on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater. Thank you.